Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Ah, good day, tokers and toquettes And toking lovers of liberty It is Monday, June 6, 2016 And it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world my God, it's got to be 420 degrees outside here. <laughs> oh, wow, folks. We are back, back here in Scottsdale, Arizona at the headquarters for CannabisRadio.com, and it is scorching hot outside in Scottsdale. Uh, last I checked, it was 107 degrees outside, and that's down from where it was early. Nope, 110 now, according to my cell phone. So yeah, 110 degrees outside. It's like stepping out into a, a, a blow dryer. <laughs> it's just amazing how hot it gets out here, but uh, glad to be back. We've got a week's worth of shows we're going to be doing here from Arizona, and I'll be enjoying the air conditioning as much as possible. We're going to be unpacking the audio from the normal Aspen legal seminar. And my apologies because I wanted to get you some of that audio for today's show, but I just ran out of time, had a lot of errands to get to, but on tomorrow's show, I promise we are going to bring you the full remarks from Dr. Carl Hart from Columbia University. We'll bring that to you an hour two tomorrow uh, so I can get the audio all cleaned up. But uh, he did an amazing speech that uh, everybody was just talking about uh, all weekend long. And also we're going to get the audio from uh, uh, Barry Grissom. I, I want to keep wanting to say Bruce, but it's Barry. Barry Grissom. He was the former U.S. attorney for the state of Kansas. Yeah, former federal prosecutor at the normal Aspen Legal Seminar speaking to all of the normal criminal defense attorneys. And uh, what a cool guy. He had a lot of great stuff to say. So we'll bring that to you, plus uh, many of the presentations that went on. If you like the, uh, the nitty gritty of marijuana law, both from the criminal defense side and from the emerging legal business side, this week is going to be a great week of shows for you. We'll bring you most of that audio in hour two of our show. So you can uh, get that. Also, uh, some stuff happening this week. Going to be taking a shot at some uh, revamping of the RadicalRust.com website. And what we're trying to get set up is the Russ Belville Show VIP uh, situation. We want to have uh, VIP memberships for you. And what will eventually happen is our two as a podcast is going to end up in those VIP subscriptions, just like it used to be back in the 420 radio days. So uh, if you enjoyed listening to this recording and listening to the hour two recordings soon, you will have to be a Russ Belleville show VIP to be able to get at that and uh, other great stuff that we're going to put on the website, including exclusive t-shirts and hats and stickers and all that kind of good stuff. And the uh, new Russ Belleville show pin, we're going to have a, a new logo that we're going to be debuting as well when we get to that uh, new website. So look forward to that. Uh, we'll be giving you some updates throughout the week as we keep developing. But coming up on today's show, all sorts of great segments to get to. We've got a look at the latest poll coming out from Quinnipiac University showing majority 
majority support for marijuana legalization. But not only that, it marks a milestone in marijuana legalization polls. So we'll tell you all about that when we get to our drug war data mining. And of course, today's Monday. So we'll get to our cannabis Q&A with Dr. Mitch Earlywine. He's going to answer your questions on cannabis science, culture, history, and health. You can ask him in the chat room or you can call in live at 971 971- 533-7111. And then at the end of the show, we'll have time for a radical rant where I'm going to go off. Did you see this thing about the uh, the gummy amphetamines that the FDA approved for kids? Yeah, I think I'd better rant about that for a little bit. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Plus Toker Talk Radio Hour 2 right after that. So plenty coming up today on the Russ Belville Show. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Seed to sale, clicks to conversions, and more. You're listening to the Cannabis Radio Network. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Doc Rob, the concierge for better living. My guests say, Razzie Berry, we're talking about nature, naturopathic medicine, as well as the concept of prevention and preventing disease. Empower people to live a naturopathic lifestyle, get to know your body, understand its rhythms, remove toxins, and use natural alternatives whenever possible. 90 to 95% of cancers are due to environment and lifestyle risk factors. That's a huge number. That means that cancer is preventable. The Concierge for Better Living with Doc Rob. Only on CannabisRadio.com. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Get Dot Buzz. Dot Buzz is the internet platform that fuels community interest, excitement, and new experiences. Dot Buzz is the premier online destination for internet users seeking the latest news on a variety of topics. Dot Buzz appeals to groups active in blogging, communications, journalism, advertising, and marketing. Dot Buzz offers registrants a stronger alternative to the shrinking namespace of existing top-level domain names, such as .com, .net, and .org. Get your name now at get.buzz. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Monday, June 6, 2016. New York, New York. 
According to a profile in the Washington Post, officials from the NFL have met in a conference call with medical marijuana researchers to learn more about the use of phytocannabinoids for head trauma. Eugene Monroe, the Baltimore Ravens tackle, who is the first active player to advocate for medical cannabis use in the NFL, has donated $80,000 to researchers investigating the clinical uses of cannabis versus concussion and chronic traumatic encephalopathy. The NFL officials were Jeff Miller, the league's senior vice president for player health and safety, and neurological surgeon Russell Lonzer, a member of the league's head, neck, and spine committee. One of the researchers contacted said of the NFL officials, quote, they are definitely showing genuine curiosity and they are definitely not throwing up roadblocks, end quote. Oakland, California, Forbes magazine, a test case challenging the Internal Revenue Service interpretation of expenses related to the sale of medical marijuana is headed to court. On Monday, June 6th, Harborside Health Center, the country's largest medical marijuana dispensary, will be in tax court to argue the application of Section 280E of the Internal Revenue Code. In 2010, after an audit, the IRS sent Harborside a bill for $2.4 million. The reason for the tax bill the IRS declared Harborside, and thus all medical marijuana dispensaries, to be drug trafficking organizations and therefore subject to a special tax rule found at Section 280E of the tax code. That rule says that expenses connected with the sale of certain illegal drugs, including Schedule One drugs like marijuana, are disallowed. Billings, Montana. Three groups are fighting to get marijuana reform issues on the ballot, but they have wildly different reform goals in mind. Safe Montana is a group that is pushing I-176, which is an initiative to repeal Montana's medical marijuana program. Safe Montana founder Steve Zabawa says they've collected enough signatures for the ballot and ha he has put over $70,000 into the campaign. Montana Cannabis Industry Association is pushing I-182, the initiative to restore Montana's medical marijuana program by removing the three-patient-per-caregiver limit and doctor monitoring established by the legislature and upheld by the state Supreme Court. MCIA has contributed over $94,000 to the effort. A third measure, I-178, seeks to legalize recreational marijuana in Montana, but the group pushing that initiative is short on funding and signatures. Kansas City, Missouri. Normal Kansas City, the local chapter of the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, has received approval to move forward with a municipal initiative to decriminalize marijuana possession offenses. If passed, the measure will amend local laws regarding the possession of up to 35 grams of marijuana for adults age 21 and up from a criminal misdemeanor, punishable by up to six months in jail and a $1,000 fine, to a civil offense, punishable by a $50 fine, no arrest or criminal record. With a deadline of August 25th, 2016, to collect the 1,703 signatures needed to qualify the initiative for a vote, the organization's executive director, Jamie Katz, is hoping to gather more than 2,300 signatures to offset the possibility of some signatures being deemed invalid. Mrs. Katz and her volunteers started the process of collecting signatures during last week's First Friday Art Festival at the Crossroads Art District and will continue to work hard over the next 12 weeks. Fairbanks, Alaska. 
As the Fairbanks North Star Borough continues to receive marijuana permit applications, a number of groups are working to keep the businesses out of the borough. A Salcha man has launched an initiative to get a question on the local ballot, asking voters to stop marijuana commercialization, and a strip mall condominium association has declared pot shops prohibited under its rules, the Fairbanks Daily News Miner reported. Borough Clerk Nancy Ashford Bingham said she received the voter initiative application from Jim Ostland recently. The application is pending her review. If reviewed, he will have until July 8th to gather at least 2,570 signatures. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Monday, June 6, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. Every strain, every sale, every medical study. Keep it right here on the Cannabis Radio Network. Play as Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town, only on Weed Firm Replanted. Available on the App Store and Google Play. It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town. Maintaining a room full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers, from a hardcore partier to the curious neighbor next door. Is anybody home? Help me expand my bud business by unlocking new strains, customizing my grow room, and completing challenges that you can't get enough of. Grow your empire so big you can see it from space. Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download. Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing. Normal stands for responsible adult cannabis use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks even though the risks may be far less than those posed by legal drugs. The Russ Belleville Show, providing dictionaries to drug czars since 2009. With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPA's offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit NewEraCPAs.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the New Era. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, I want to take a look at medical marijuana research around the world where Israel is leaving the rest of us behind. Israel has long been a center for medical cannabis research ever since Dr. Raphael Meshulam discovered THC back in 1964. Prior to that, we knew that pot got you high. We just didn't know why or how. And uh, Dr. Mishulam is the one that figured out THC. Later in the 90s is where we figured out uh, what THC was activating when we had the discovery of the endocannabinoid system in 94, was it? I can't remember the exact year. And we are still learning more to this day about how our body's endocannabinoids and our endocannabinoid system works and how phytocannabinoids, plant cannabinoids, interact with that. Uh, in Israel, they've been uh, working on medical cannabis for decades now, and they just released a study uh, at the International Jerusalem Conference on Health Policy. This was released uh, uh, May 26th, and it was examining cancer and non-cancer patients that have been using 
medical marijuana uh, through the is, uh, Israeli health ministry. And what they found is the vast majority of patients reported that medical marijuana helped relieve pain and nausea. I know this is like from the Department of No Duh, but this is, you know, here in America, we've had medical marijuana since 96 in California, and none of the states that have medical marijuana programs have bothered to even survey the patients to find out if it's working, how well it's working, how well do they use it, how do they use it. So getting this uh, knowledge out of uh, Israel is definitely a positive that we're getting somebody who's asking their patients about what's going on. But it relieves pain and nausea, and this is with over 22,000 patients uh, that have been using medical marijuana. They say the minor side effects are dry mouth, hunger, sleepiness, and fatigue. Just what we mostly know that are the uh, side effects from cannabis use. And almost all of the patients, 99.6% of them, applied to use medical marijuana after all other conventional medicines proved ineffective. In other words, medical marijuana as the medicine of last resort. This is a huge problem. We need to change this sort of thinking. This idea that medical marijuana is a medicine of last resort, that people should have to go through all of these pharmaceuticals that have toxic side effects, that have terrible side effects that often require the use of another pill to deal with the side effects. Why should we put people through all of that rather than have them start on the natural, non-toxic, low side effect herb? I don't know how Israel's laws are set up with respect to qualifying for medical marijuana. I don't know if that's a roadblock that's causing this, but we need to change this mindset. As we continue legalizing medical marijuana throughout the United States and the world, we need to end its classification as a drug altogether, as being some something that's like a prescription that needs to be controlled. We need to deschedule cannabis to give people the most latitude and the least stigma for using this as a medicine of first resort and even as a supplement to prevent the maladies that might come along that would require medical cannabis in the first place. But uh, more about this study, uh, they found uh, 40% of the patients uh, got a doctor's recommendation, 75% choose to smoke, 21% use oils, and the rest vape. And less than one in 10 patients stopped using the drug after they were first surveyed. So this is something that can be used by the opponents. Let's say, see, once you get on it, you never get off it. But that's a lousy uh, attack from their side, considering most of the drugs that are being dispensed as pharmaceuticals have that same property. There's many of these like, you know, statin uh, drugs and and anti-anxiety drugs that people end up on for the rest of their lives. So let's not worry about less than one in 10 stopped using it after they first started using it. Indeed, we, we still don't know a whole bunch about the endocannabinoid system. Like I said, it's only been in study for the past couple of decades, and we're learning more and more about what could be determined as an endocannabinoid deficiency, the possibility that some people might not have a fully functioning endocannabinoid system might not be producing enough of their own endocannabinoids. And maybe this is the difference between some people who smoke pot and become typical, you know, stereotypical stoners, the lazy munchy, you know, a motivated types versus people who smoke pot. And it seems to make their lives better. People like me, people like you, 
that that we smoke pot and it enhances our life and it allows us to function at a, at a better level. It's something that we'll be continuing to learn and this information that we get out of Israel as they're so much farther ahead on the issue than we are is very groundbreaking. And we can find more and more of this. Uh, there's a great article on this in the Daily Caller, dailycaller.com on is, Israel's medical marijuana programs. And uh, the study, like I said, came out May 26th and was presented at the International Jerusalem Conference on Health Policy. Hey, this is great, man. Thanks, Tommy. And uh, Tommy Chong just recently celebrated another birthday. Happy birthday to Tommy Chong, one of our colleagues here on CannabisRadio.com. Make sure you check out the Tommy Chong podcast and all the other great shows we got here at CannabisRadio.com. We got something for everyone. And now I'm going to go get something for myself because it's 20 after. Let's take a break. We have your smoking section right here. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. I'm Radical Russ Belleville, inviting you to join me every weekday on CannabisRadio.com for the Russ Belleville Show. It's the NPR of POT. We bring you the latest marijuana headlines, cannabis analysis, drug war data, activist interviews, radical rants, and your live calls. Join me every weekday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, live only on CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belleville Show reminds you to never smoke and drive impaired. Hang out for a while and share. At Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie's Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of The Russ Belville Show and 420 Radio. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in the Drug War Data Mines, we take a look at the latest poll from Quinnipiac University, which shows, once again, majority support for marijuana legalization. And the poll from Quinnipiac, uh, which was conducted among registered voters, so that's good news. This is voters we're talking about, just not just anybody who picks up the phone. Registered voters 
contacted both by landline and by cell phone, the poll shows 54% of voters believe that marijuana should be made legal in the United States. That was the question. No other uh, qualifiers, no tax and regulate, no medical use, no small amounts, just quote, marijuana should be made legal in the United States, end quote. 40, 54% in favor of that, a strong majority, with only 41% opposed. So there's another 5% that haven't even made up their mind yet. But the best part about this poll, a couple of other uh, informa- uh, information points to know about this, is that this is the 10th straight poll with majority support for marijuana legalization in the past two years. It's been over two years since a poll was taken that did not show majority support for marijuana legalization. Nine other national polls after this Quinnipiac one have found majority support. It's been as high as 61% in two polls, one from Associated Press, another one from Benenson Strategy Group. And other majority polls in the past two years have come from Gallup, the Pew Research Center, the General Social Survey, and CBS and Fox News. Wow. So it's been two years. And if we look back a little further, the last poll not to clear 50% support for marijuana legalization was a CBS News poll in May of 2014. However, that poll found a 48 to 47% plurality support for marijuana legalization. In, in other words, still more people supported legalization than were against it. It just wasn't a majority. Uh, how does that work? Well, you know, you still have 3% undecided or 5% or whatever it is, right? And if we go back farther, January 2014, there was a poll from ABC News, Washington Post with a similar plurality. It was 49 to 48 in support for marijuana legalization. The last poll to register nationwide plurality opposition to marijuana legalization was from February 2013. That was when Fox News found 49 to 46 against it. The last nationwide poll with majority opposed to marijuana legalization. The last time he could get more than 50%, 50% or more opposed to marijuana legalization. The last time a majority of Americans were against legalizing was a poll taken by Gallup in December 2012 where they found 50% of Americans were against legalizing. So in other words, it has been three and a half years since any poll found a majority against marijuana legalization. And for the past two years, 10 straight polls have shown majority support for legalization. All sorts of interesting information in this poll from Quinnipiac as well. Uh, We do still find that we have a gender gap in marijuana legalization, the same gender gap we always find. Among men, it's 60-37. 60% of men support legalization, but with women, it's down to a plurality. It's 48-46. Women are 12 points behind men in marijuana legalization support. This is why I'm so excited about groups like Normal Women of Washington, Normal Women's Alliance, the MJBA Women's uh, Group, the Women Grow Organization. The more of these organizations that are focusing on women's perception of marijuana and other women who consume marijuana, the better our poll numbers because we got to erase this gender gap that we've got. 
Uh, of course, uh, the Republicans are still opposed to legalization, 6236. Voters over 65 are still opposed, 5737. But every other group that you can name by income, by politics, by age, by race, by ethnicity, every other group came up with uh, support for legalizing marijuana, except white women. White women were tied 47, uh, 48, pretty close to a tie. Now, uh, other top lines on this that are fascinating. When we get outside of legalization and go to medical, it's overwhelming. According to the uh, question, uh, American voters support 89 to 9 for legal medical marijuana if prescribed by a doctor. They mean recommend, but same diff, right? And the support tops 81% among any group. More than four out of five of any demographic you pick support medical marijuana. That fight is over. And when it comes to vets with PTS, the uh, VA doctor should be allowed to prescribe medical marijuana to vote to, to veterans by an 87 to nine margin. 87 to 9, even in the military households where they tend to be more conservative, they support 82 to 13, the use of medical marijuana for post-traumatic stress. So clearly this uh, is over as far as the medical marijuana fight goes. We have won that battle. So it is time now to, to direct our energies toward winning marijuana legalization for all people. To stop trying to draw these arbitrary lines over who should be punished for their cannabis use. Let's stop trying to figure out who's sick enough to protect from prohibition and just end the prohibition for everyone. That's the sensible thing to do. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll get Dr. Mitch Earlywine on the line and take your questions in our cannabis Q&A. we got a lot of studies to talk about that have come out over the past couple of weeks. We'll also get a preview of his latest episode of Burning Issues, the Dr. Mitch podcast here on CannabisRadio.com. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Earn your Ph.D. in THC monetization. With CannabisRadio.com. Don't be late. The cannabis business industry is growing. Business is booming. And as new opportunities arise in newly legalized states, each market is getting more competitive. Today, it takes more than just being a good grower. Do you have the resources to market and handle this ever-changing business landscape? Let Canna Management Corporation help you grow your Canna business with our vast resources and experience to make your business a fully functional service company. Financial management, HR, sales, marketing, efficiency, and more. CMC has the experience and the expertise to improve your business and help you better meet the demands of your clients and customers. Call Canna Management Corporation and let our team get you ready to grow. 415-269-8015. That's 415-269-8015. Or visit canna-management.com. It's time for Cannabis Facts about teen drug use from Robert Platchorn's TheSilverTour.org. 
This message is supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. A recent survey by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control indicates that in states that have legalized medical marijuana, the rate of marijuana consumption among high school students has not increased. In fact, in legal states like Colorado, teen use has actually decreased significantly. It's simply no longer a big deal for teenagers in legal states. This was Cannabis Facts from thesilvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. Get the latest updates on The Russ Belleville Show by following Radical Russ on Twitter and liking The Russ Belleville Show on Facebook. Are you playing an acoustic guitar but want to be louder without an amp? Try a Resonator guitar. The fingerboard extension has National Resophonic and other resonators, square necks and round necks. Stop by the fingerboard extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Go wild hog in the woods. It's time for the Russ Belleville Show's Cannabis Q&A with Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Dr. Earlywine is a professor of psychology at the State University of New York at Albany and a leading author and researcher on cannabinoids and health who pins the Ask Dr. Mitch column for High Times Magazine. Get your questions ready in our live chat or call in to 971-533-7111 now. Welcome back, everybody. Time for our cannabis Q&A with Dr. Mitch Earlywine. We're having all sorts of fun with our Internet connection, trying to get this call uh, set up. And I'm going to try Dr. Mitch on his cell phone instead just to see if that's going to work a little bit better. But uh, uh, we're uh, doing it live, as we usually do here. But we got all sorts of great studies that we're going to uh, take a look at. Most recently, a study that has shown that uh, cannabis consumers, the health of cannabis consumers, is not uh, a big problem to worry about and uh i'm really hoping to get dr mitch on the line for this one hey, man. hello dr mitch can you hear me okay oh wait we got to switch the uh, microphone over so dr mitch can hear me okay got to get all the connections working the way they're supposed to and now dr mitch could probably hear me how you doing dr mitch Hello, Dr. Mitch. Can you hear me? Having a great day. How about you? <laughs> Doing okay other than the uh, the internet. I think the, uh, the, the Phoenix sun has melted our internet. Is that possible? <laughs> Sad but true. All right. We got some sort of uh, crazy delay on this, too. So, Dr. Mitch, I'll just give you the questions uh, as best I can. Uh, we've got a bunch of studies to cover here. And the first one that we're really interested in is this study that says that uh, the long-term health risk of marijuana use is pretty much gum disease. Uh, what did you think about this study? Well, we've talked about this before, and there definitely is a tendency for fans of the plant to forget to brush and floss right before bed. But they tried to control for this as best as they could. I still think that's the main source of this result. But what's more important is even with this large sample, it's a null result for all those cardiovascular and uh, basically other health disorders that they should have been able to detect if they really were there, and they're just not there. This is longitudinal data, not just a correlational thing. 
So I think we can all rest assured we need to put our floss next to the vaporizer and everything will be fine. <laughs> That's right. Just make it a habit. Make it your standard operating procedure. But one concern I had about this, Dr. Mitch, is this, this is, if I'm not mistaken, the same data that Dunedin, New Zealand data that was used in 2012 to say that we lose eight points of IQ. So how can we say that this time it's good and that time before it was wrong? It's curious because uh, this data set has been kind of a few times, but I feel like if there really was an effect, we would have gotten it this time, and it's just not panning out. In the past, I know I've ribbed these guys for uh, basically going on big uh, data mining expositions, if you will, but again, the error of no finding is less likely than finding something by in this kind of data set. Okay, so uh, we can have a little more trust because we're not finding the cardiovascular problems, the the pulmonary problems, uh, the long-term health risks that had previously been uh, thought to happen for long-term marijuana use. All right, we are... Definitely having some. Connect- I'm sorry, Russ. I seem to have lost you. Yeah, we we has having some connection difficulties there. I'll see if I can get you just to the uh, the next study here. Uh, a study coming uh, that was out of the paper in Human Brain Mapping that says, "Oh, now we've lost Dr. Mitch on the line altogether. We are definitely having some connection difficulties." I'll see if I can pick him up on the the Skype connection instead this time. We're uh, I don't know. Again, it's 110 degrees outside. Does that have anything to do with it? We can't actually melt the Internet. I don't think that's physically possible, but we are definitely having some connection difficulties here. Uh, getting to Dr. Mitch Earlywine on the line. And um, given that we're not doesn't look like we're going to be able to connect, I'll just continue with the segment and uh, run down some of these studies. Uh, a study that was published today. According to researchers at the Center for Brain Health at the University of Texas at Dallas, they say chronic marijuana use disrupts the brain's natural reward processes. Uh, The researchers demonstrated for the first time with functional magnetic resonance imaging that long-term marijuana users had more brain activity in the mesocorticolimbic reward system when presented with cannabis cues than with natural reward cues. Uh, basically they're trying to make the point here that, uh, marijuana is addictive and the problem with this is, and, and Dr. Carl Hart does a great presentation on this is you do brain mappings on any different set or group of people and you can make them say just about whatever you want them to say. Um, the, the report here, uh, was on 59 adult marijuana users and 70 non-users. And it seems like a, a dumb thing to study. When you'd consider that you're asking whether or not people who've smoked pot light up, whether their brains light up when they see pot. Well, yeah, because they know that pot is something that is rewarding. That's something that feels good. And the non-pot users not lighting up for it would be just like, you know, uh, 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 someone from the South American jungles not lighting up a reward circuit when they see a Twinkie. They've never had a Twinkie. They've never used a Twinkie. They don't know that a Twinkie is good. Why would their brains light up for it? The study seems highly suspect to me, and uh, I wish I could talk to Dr. Mitch about it because I think he'd have probably just about the same things to say. Uh, Another study that's interesting, a Dutch study 
that says legal cannabis cultivation would boost human rights. And this was uh, carried out by Dutch researchers who are tr- who are investigating the crime problems that they still have in the Netherlands. A lot of people know that the Netherlands is well known for its uh, its coffee shop system where retail sales of up to five grams of cannabis are legal for adults 21 and older and the use is legal. But many people don't realize that the back end, the commercial end of that is still quite illegal. And we still have arrests and prison time and commercial violence over the back end of the marijuana trade, uh, the cannabis trade in the Netherlands. And part of this study was to determine how best to deal with that and how to comport with the three international treaties, the drug conventions that still govern much of what goes on with uh, marijuana, with cannabis in the various countries that are signatories to that treaty. And the treaty is pretty specific about how countries can legislate and regulate cannabis should they choose to do so. One of the breakouts of this study, though, is that the uh, UN human rights agreements that countries are also signatories to kind of trump other laws. So they're making the point here that serving human rights, the human rights to avoid being uh, punished, uh, the cruel, unusual punishments that could be exacted on people can be avoided through a system of cannabis regulation and legalization and thereby assure people's human rights. And since that becomes a human rights issue, the human rights issue would trump the cannabis issue. And that's what these Dutch uh, researchers are trying to make the case for. A very interesting story. You can find out more about that on MarijuanaTimes.org under the headline, Dutch study says legal cannabis cultivation would boost human rights. Another story out there that uh, was very interesting from the marijuana science and data collection perspective is a look at the number of teens with marijuana-related problems and how they have declined over the past decade. This was a study published in the Journal of the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, and it found that as more states legalize the use of marijuana, the number of teens with cannabis-related problems is declining. The study revealed a 24% decline in marijuana-related problems. These problems were things like becoming dependent on marijuana, having trouble in school, having trouble in relationships, Uh, They also found that they had a drop in problems related to cannabis and reductions in behavioral issues such as fighting, property crimes, and selling drugs. Now, there's somewhat of chicken and egg syndrome here. We don't know if kids are having fewer problems, thereby not getting involved in marijuana, or kids are not getting involved in marijuana as much and thereby not having as many problems. But the uh, researchers here, and this was through the Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis, uh, Missouri, they're still not sure what's going on with this. Um, The researchers assume the conduct problems came first, and then the kids move on to the marijuana, but they don't know that based on what data they had to work with, which was a 12-year span of data, 2002 to 2013, in the National Survey on Drug Use and Health. Uh, This was for adolescents aged 12 to 17. Uh, We covered some of this in our drug war data mining last week, 
where we showed that uh, annual use of marijuana has dropped by about a 10% decline overall. We also have a decrease in teenage pregnancy rates, adolescent crime rates, binge drinking among high school students. And another study in the American Journal of Public Health uh, also shows that uh, medical marijuana laws don't directly affect the views of young people. So all of this concern from our opponents that we'd call marijuana a medicine and it would change young people's perception to think it's no big deal. And then they'd use more marijuana and we'd have more teenage drug addicts just hasn't happened. And it seems that the opposite has happened. And I think a a large degree of what makes this happen this way is that we're telling kids the truth about it. It seems the more that we lie about these substances, the worse reaction we get from the kids. And when we just tell them the truth, there seems to be a reduction in their interest in it. It just becomes old and boring and no big deal. Finally, we have uh, one last study to take a look at here. This one coming from the uh, medical news today, a study from researchers at the university of Western Australia say cannabis alters DNA leading to genetic mutations that may raise the risk of serious diseases for users of the drug and future generations. (laughs) Yes, this must explain the (laughs) X-Men, right? So we all smoked pot and we all turned into the X-Men. This is, of course, a ridiculous study uh, saying that there's cannabis-related DNA damage that can be passed on to future generations. Uh, This would not... uh, have any correlation to anything we've seen in reality. We haven't seen a bunch of mutant kids born out of the uh, summer of love. Uh, We haven't seen all the children of the hippies of the 60s with special mutant powers or three arms or anything crazy like that. Once again, it seems like uh, we got the reaver madness going on in Australia trying to scare a bunch of people. It's not working anymore. We've got decades and decades of modern results of cannabis use we have not seen any problems in over 7,000 years well sorry I couldn't get Dr. Mitch on the line for us folks we'll work out these internet issues and have them back next week coming up next Radical Rant let's talk a little bit about amphetamine gummies for kids huh (laughs) stay tuned back in two This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Forwarding the cause of legalization and research of the growing cannabis industry, one podcast at a time. The Cannabis Radio Network. Play as Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town, only on Weed Firm Replanted. Available on the App Store and Google Play. It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town. Maintaining a room full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers, from a hardcore partier to the curious neighbor next door. Is anybody home? Help me expand my bud business by unlocking new strains, customizing my grow room, and completing challenges that you can't get enough of. Grow your empire so big you can see it from space. Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download. Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing. 
educator, author, and advocate, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, is here to tackle the burning issues. And I'm here to clear up the myths about cannabis and burn them away with science. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Dr. Kevin Hill. You can't ignore the fact that, like alcohol, most people who use don't have a problem. So I think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana. I think that's the way to go. Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some, I assume, are good people. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The Law Office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. One major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. All right, welcome back, everybody. 49 after the hour, and today in the Radical Rant, I want to talk about the children. Won't somebody think of the children? What about the children? Something we hear all the time here on the side of legalizing marijuana, that we're just letting big marijuana take over. We want to lie to the kids. We want to get the kids addicted to marijuana so that we have lifelong customers. And we want to entice the kids. We're going to entice the kids with cartoons. We're going to have little cartoon mascots and entice the kids. And we're going to make gummy bears and cookies and chocolate bars. because Not because adults like those things. But because we're evil, we're the evil big marijuana that wants to get the kids addicted. We want to lure them into our evil marijuana ways. So so when we live in that world, right, what about the children? We have to trod so lightly when we try to help the kids out in any way. <gasps> what? You want to you give medical marijuana to children? <gasps> no, well, no, only if it doesn't have THC in it. We don't want the kids getting high so so we can get these cbd bills passed in the south and in upper midwest and wyoming and utah we can get these cbd bill, bills passed because we're not going to get the kids high because god forbid oh my we don't want to be enticing the kids with the thc that's you know non-toxic and can't kill them so want to entice the kids with the thc and and even in the states that have medical marijuana the parents have to fight to be able to dose their kids New Jersey recently passed a bill, and, and I think Colorado's got one that Governor Hickenlooper's going to sign 
that says, okay, okay, if, if you got a seriously ill kid and you've jumped through the hoops to get a medical marijuana, which usually means getting two doctor's approvals and, you know, all sorts of extra steps, having pediatricians, independent pediatricians involved in all of that, parental uh, uh, signatures, everything you need. You, you jump through all those hoops, you get your kid the medical marijuana, but then they can't take it to school. So, so now these bills are being passed, and I'm glad they are. These bills are being passed to say, okay, if you've jumped through all the hoops to get your kid medical marijuana, we'll let you dose your kid at school, but it has to be you. You have to show up and dose them. You can't have the school nurse give them. The kid can't keep the medical marijuana on them. We have to put it somewhere safe because, God forbid, what about the children? We got we to gotta protect the kids. Can't have the marijuana near the kids. Okay. So we're in that world, right? What about the children? And then you see when it's not marijuana, we don't give a flying flea fart about the kids. We could care less about the kids. Hell, we'll push the drugs on the kids when it's not marijuana. Did you read this latest one? Just happened this last week. End of last week. The FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, approved candy-flavored amphetamines for kids. No kidding, folks. This is a drug called Adzenis. A-D-Z-E-N-Y-S. Because, you know... All new drugs have to score at least 30 points in Scrabble, <laughs> right? A-D-Z-E-N-Y-S at Zenis XR-ODT. And it's amphetamine. It's just amphetamine. And it's, it's, a, it's a hard candy. Uh, you can, I'm reading this right off of drugs.com, folks. It's a hard candy. Um, what should you know about the, this amphetamine? It may be habit-forming. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> really? It could have some it could have some uh side effects I understand too. Let's see what the side effects are. Um hallucinations. Seeing, hearing or feeling things that are not there. Okay, we could have the kid could you get hallucinations on the uh amphetamine candy that's been approved by the FDA. Severe mental changes, blurred vision, dizziness, false or unusual sense of well-being. <laughs> or as some of us might call it, high Fast, irregular pounding or racing heartbeat or pulse, headache, nervousness, pounding in the ears, restlessness, shakiness in the legs, arms, hands, or feet, slow or fast heartbeat, trouble sleeping, twitching, twisting, or uncontrolled repetitive movements of the tongue, lips, face, arms, or legs, or as some of us know it as tweaking, uncontrolled vocal outbursts or tics, um, abdominal or stomach cramps, confusion, dark colored urine, diarrhea, dizziness, fainting or lightheadedness, fainting, fever, muscle cramps or spasms, muscle pain or stiffness, nausea, seizures, sweating, unusual tiredness or weakness, vomiting, decreased interest in sexual intercourse. Well, I don't know if that's a problem for the kids. Uh, difficulty having a bowel movement, constipation, dry mouth, hives or welts, itching or skin rash, inability to have or keep an erection, loss in sexual ability, desire drive or performance, Loss of appetite, redness of the skin, unpleasant taste, and weight loss. These are the side effects that you can get from Adzenis, the new candy-flavored dissolvable lozenge FDA just approved for children. And you know what else the FDA approved for kids? This was a couple months ago. Oxycontin. For kids 11 and up. They approved Oxycontin for ages 11 and up. Go ahead, take the synthetic heroin. 
Go ahead, take the candy amphetamines. But for God's sake, keep the THC out of your cannabis oil. And to think, we have to go through all of these hurdles to get bills passed to let a kid who's already been seen by two doctors, who's already been approved by the state to use this non-toxic herbal medication. We have to jump through hoops to be able to let those kids even just use it at school, much less, you know, uh, to have it applied to them at school, I should say. But these other drugs, this adzenis, this lozenge, amphetamine lozenge, or the Oxycontin the kid might have a prescription for, they'd be legally allowed to just carry that, take it to school with them. This adzenis, it's chewable, fruit-flavored drug with the same active ingredient as Adderall. It's basically extended-release gummy meth, as Mike Adams at High Times calls it. Approved by the FDA for patients as young as six. (laughs) As young as six, folks. So we can't have the candy gummies for adults with marijuana because it might entice the kids. But the candy amphetamine for the kids, that's just fine. The Oxycontin for the kids is just fine. And the other thing that bothers me about this double standard of what about the children? Oh, God, we can't advertise marijuana with a cartoon. Can't have any cartoon characters for advertising marijuana because it'll appeal to the children. Because the children will see the cartoon characters and uh, they will will think that that's uh, for them, right? So why does that not apply to Abilify? Why does that not apply to uh, Lunesta? Why does this not apply to a number of drugs I see advertised on television with cartoons? These antidepressant drugs that have the cartoon umbrella or the cartoon robe, the cartoon letter A for Abilify. Somehow those cartoons aren't appealing to the kids. But if we had a cartoon around weed, why that would be appealing to the kids. This double standard has no basis in science, reason, or logic. It is completely based in cultural bigotry. And... We are going to keep fighting until marijuana is completely legal, till we end this stigma on cannabis consumers that has no bearing to the facts, has no bearing in any sort of reason. I can't, I can't believe that we live in a country where we're going to have gummy flavored speed. It's, it's just amazing to me. And, and and we're finding all sorts of side effects from this stuff. You know, they say we don't have any long-term knowledge of what happens under marijuana. That's And that's BS because we got 7,000 years of people using marijuana. We don't know what happens when generations of kids are raised chewing down amphetamines all their life. I think we're starting to find out. I think we're starting to see some of these addiction problems manifest themselves from our over-prescribing of these drugs to our kids. No long-term studies on that stuff, folks. And we're finding things like these Abilify. I saw a lawsuit on Abilify, class action suit, where they're claiming Abilify caused them to gamble recklessly. That Abilify was causing gambling addiction. (laughs) Uh, Remember, every drug you see a lawsuit over or a recall for is a drug that was approved as safe by the FDA. 
I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us here from scorching hot Scottsdale, Arizona. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for Hour 2. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down super. It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Or you can tope. I inhale. Uh, or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about tope on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Portland, Oregon, at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the enema man and Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? Don't tease me. We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of Gonta graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. All right, welcome back, tokers and tokets and non-toking lovers of liberty. Hour two is, well, we're not on the air. We're having some internet problems here at uh, the studio, so I don't actually have any live listeners right at the moment. (laughs) So normally I'd be talking to a bunch of people, but right now, well, I am talking to a bunch of people, but just not live. You're only hearing me on the podcast because the live feed is down something wrong with our internet so i'm just going to go ahead and get the introduction taken care of for what we're going to play here for the rest of hour two because since we're not doing this live i can take some time off and cut the audio up and get it to you just the way i wanted to today and that would be the presentation from dr carl hart who appeared at the normal aspen legal seminar and delivered a stunning presentation that everyone was talking about throughout throughout the rest of the weekend and uh, just amazing. He's the author of the book high price and he discusses not just uh, his uh, views on cannabis, but also other drugs. But the prime primary thrust of his uh, of his talk was called how cannabis can cure racism, 
which is a pretty provocative statement. So we're looking forward to hearing about that. Also, we'll be here in the Scottsdale, Phoenix area for the rest of the week. If there's any listeners out there that want to get together and uh, have a meetup this week, this would be a great time to do it. So let me know. I'm Radical Russ everywhere on Twitter, on Facebook, on Gmail. And uh, toward this uh, end of this week, maybe Thursday, Friday night, something like that, we'll have a get together and uh, meet some of the folks here in the Valley of the Sun. All right. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll have... Dr. Carl Hart, exclusively from the normal Aspen Legal Seminar right here on Cannabis Radio and the Russ Belleville Show. Stick around. We've got plenty more coming up and plenty of changes coming up to RadicalRust.com as well. I want to thank you all for your support. And if you enjoy listening to this podcast and checking out all of my photos and reports and audio from various events around the country, we could use your support. Just go online to PayPal. And send your donations to Russ at RadicalRuss.com. All the money you send via PayPal goes into plane tickets and hotels and fees for these various events. You keep sending me, I'll keep reporting back. Russ at RadicalRuss.com on PayPal. Appreciate all you can give. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Next to THC and CBD, you can now add CBR to your cannabis vernacular. CBR as in CannabisRadio.com. The National Cannabis Industry Association presents the third annual Cannabis Business Summit and Expo. The most influential business event in the marijuana industry returns for three days in Oakland, California. Join your fellow industry leaders and policy influencers June 20th through 22nd for an in-depth educational experience and network with more than 3,000 cannabis professionals. The 2016 Cannabis Business Summit and Expo will feature keynote presentations from California Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom and Numi Organic Tea CEO Ahmed Rahim giving you insight into cutting-edge policy discussions and the most innovative business practices. All this plus the most comprehensive expo floor in the industry. The Cannabis Business Summit and Expo, June 20th through 22nd in Oakland. Don't miss out. Register right now at CannabisBusinessSummit.com and save 15% off registration using promo code RADIO15. That's CannabisBusinessSummit.com, promo code RADIO15. Tommy Chong is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone of Tilk Radio. I hope everybody's got their vape pen handy or their pipe or their bong or whatever you use to do your medicine. But you don't, it's not a requirement. You don't have to be high for this show. Yeah, you do. <laughs> okay. I don't know who you're talking to. You have to be high to do anything. At least I do. I don't know about you. In fact, I've been high so long that being straight is another high. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. Or at least they pay me to say that. 
A public service message from CannabisRadio.com and the Russ Belleville Show. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. a package here for Radical Rick. Is there a Radical Rick here? How about a Rick Russ? Any any Rick Russ? Somebody named Freddie Barack has sent him a package. Anybody? What is that? Sounds like a stump. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. Eight after the hour, and uh, we're going to take you back to Aspen, Colorado. I just returned from the Aspen Normal Legal Conference, and the keynote speaker there was Dr. Carl Hart from Columbia University, author of the book High Price, who has become one of the leading speakers on the circuit with regard to marijuana and drug policy. Enjoy his presentation from Aspen. Thank you. Thank you all for inviting me. I want to thank Keith for inviting me. Um, I didn't even realize you all were doing this. Um, I had, had such a meeting in such a beautiful place. Um, yesterday I walked around this beautiful town, went and bought some cannabis, and people were lovely. He's like, damn. I don't know if black people around the country know that you all live like this. <laughs> Shit. It's like, damn, you all kept this a secret. Uh, um, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm also I'm just happy to be here with some of my friends. Uh, Paul, my dear friend Paul, whenever I have a cannabis question, I always call Paul, and he always helps me out, and it makes me seem smarter than I am. So thank you, Paul. Um, um, so... My talk is a little different. Um, uh, it's called um, how, uh, how Pot and Other Recreational Drugs Can Cure Racism. Uh, I think we lost the screen for a second. Nah, it's just that I... Pulled on the cord too tight. I think. Yeah. Is it? All right. Uh, all right. Perfect, man. Thank you. No, I know you can hear me, um, but it's more than hear me. When you give a good presentation, it's about the the sort of uh, visual effects as well. Um, you have to have a variety of uh, a media. Otherwise, the shit is boring, and I didn't come here to bore you. Uh, and that's not what I do. I don't bore you. I assure you that. So uh, this this title is a, a play on some of the things that have been annoying me. Um, I, I get reports uh, sometimes about how marijuana can cure everything from can cancer to Ebola. 
And then so I thought, well, why not cure racism? And so that's what this talk is dealing with. Now, I should I should give you guys uh, some background of who I am. This is me in the lab back in the day when I was idealistic, thinking that I was going to use neuroscience as a way to cure drug addiction. Uh, you see, I thought that drug addiction was the biggest problem that faced communities from which I came, um, particularly some black communities in the United States, because we were told that the problems were related to drug drugs and drug addiction. And so I figured that I could make my contribution uh, through neuroscience, understand the neurobiological mechanisms that are responsible for drug addiction, therefore cure it, solve it, and you solve the crime and the poverty in my community. And so I set out to do that. This is one of my first publications. This is a publication entitled uh, Nicotine's Effects on Dopamine Clearance in Rat Nucleus Accumbens. So... Basically, what we were doing was we were putting probes in rats in this portion of the brain called the nucleus accumbens. We thought the nucleus accumbens was important for reward and drug addiction. Uh, if we understood dopamine in this region, we thought that we would be able to solve drug addiction. And these are some of the other sort of brain regions that are responsible or involved. The ventral tegmental area that projects to the Prefrontal cortex, it projects also to the nucleus accumbens and to the amygdala. And we went about trying to study these various brain areas. And so for the past 20 years or so, I've been publishing papers, testing various drugs to see whether or not they impacted, decreased, stopped people from taking cocaine, crack cocaine specifically. We bring pre people into the lab. We maintain them on some drug based on this neurobiological theory, disrupting this pathway. If we could block this pathway, we can prevent cocaine from having its euphoric and its uh, gripping effects on people. Now, we published dozens of papers under this sort of theory, tested a variety of drugs under this theory, and we were unsuccessful. I was a failure. I had spent 20 years of publishing negative data. I was a failure. And it's not cool feeling like a failure. So I had to take a step back. And I t as I took a step back, I wrote the book High Price. In writing High Price, it forced me to think about what was really going on, what had really happened. It forced me to question the assumptions under which I was dealing. Now, in the process of writing High Price, I learned some very important things, more important things than I was learning when I was in the lab, looking at dopamine, in the lab, trying to apply this theory. I had to come out of the lab, the weeds, if you were. I was in the weeds. High Price forced me to come out and look at the trees. And so now what I want to share with you all is some of the things that I learned while looking at the trees and not the weeds. One of the first things that I learned is that drugs are not the problem. I thought drugs were the problem. Drugs are not the problem because most of the people who use drugs don't have a problem. 75 to 90% of the people who use drugs like crack cocaine, heroin, 
you name it, marijuana, you name it, don't have a problem. They are responsible people. They are me. I'm a heroin user. I'm an MDMA user. I am a drug user. I'm a responsible person. I take care of my family. I pay my bills. I pay. I take care of my taxes. I'm not different from these guys. These guys were drug users. Bill Clinton, of course, used marijuana. George Bush acknowledges using marijuana, but he's widely suspected of using cocaine, has not acknowledged that yet, so I can't say what I know, but I can't say it. Whereas Barack Obama has acknowledged using marijuana and cocaine. Now, the goal here is not to tarnish these guys' reputation. They are quite capable of doing that themselves. <laughs> and they have done that themselves. That's not my goal. The goal here is to point out that these guys represent the rule and not the exception. Now, another lesson I learned was that we in science, me, along with other people, and our society, of course, follow suit, we have exaggerated the harmful effects of drugs. That's what we do. We specialize in exaggerating the harmful effects of drugs. And I'll tell you why in a second. But first, I want to tell you how. This is a picture of powder cocaine on the left and crack cocaine on the right. This is just the chemical structure. Focus your attention on the left, the red circle. That's the only difference between these two compounds. The red circle is a hydrochloride portion. That's a salt. It makes... It keeps the compound stable such that you can't smoke it. If you want to smoke it, you have to remove that red portion, the hydrochloride portion. You can remove it simply by dissolving it in water and baking soda, heating it up, and bringing it back, and then the salt is gone. Now you have crack. They're the same drug pharmacologically. They have the exact same effect. It's true, when you smoke crack cocaine, the effects are more rapid, more intense than when you snort powder cocaine. But when you dissolve powder cocaine in water, shoot it intravenously, you get the same rapid onset of effects and the same intense effects as smoking crack cocaine. They are the same drug. The scientific literature knows this. This is a picture of methamphetamine and amphetamine. Amphetamine is on the left, methamphetamine is on the right. This is a paper uh, one of my PhD students at the time did for his dissertation, a part of his dissertation. Uh, amphetamine, of course, you all know the drug Adderall. Everybody knows Adderall? Adderall. Uh, and uh, that's amphetamine is the active ingredient in Adderall. Adderall has three amphetamines, but only one of them is really what we are seeking, the D portion that crosses the blood-brain barrier well. Um, that's amphetamine. That's on the left. On the right, that's methamphetamine. You can see the only difference between these two compounds is the additional methyl group that's in the red circle on the right. That additional methyl group was said in the scientific literature, still said in the scientific literature, that that additional methyl group makes methamphetamine more lipid-soluble, meaning that it crosses the blood-brain barrier more rapidly. It has more intense effects. It's more addictive. It's more dangerous. You add the adjective. That's what's been said in the scientific literature. But when you go and look at the literature, the studies that have compared the two drugs under double-blind conditions in people, 
Starting in 1971, Billy Martin and his group did this. They compared the two drugs under double-blind condition. The drugs produce identical effects. This is at the oral administration. These, these findings were replicated by Rick Lamb and Jack Henningfield in 1994, replicated further in 2009 by a guy named Craig Rush. And in 2012, we extended it by using larger intranasal doses. And what we found was that methamphetamine and amphetamine are essentially the same drug. Both of these drugs were used widely in World War II. Our military still uses amphetamine for soldiers to keep them awake, help them fight longer, and hopefully better. But they are the same drugs. Although we have a different verbal behavior surrounding methamphetamine in the country, they are the same drug. All of the scientific literature and human support that. Okay, let's stay with methamphetamine. Other sort of exaggerations that have been said about methamphetamine, if you ever go to scientific talks, and I don't encourage you to do so, uh, but if you do, if you go to scientific talks, Oftentimes, you will see someone put up a brain imaging slide like this. This is a brain imaging slide, a PET imaging slide. You get PET imaging by simply injecting a radioactive compound in the person's body. That radioactive compound in a case like this would be something that selectively binds to dopamine receptors. In this case, the, the drug is raclopride. It binds it's a radioactive uh, raclopride. It binds to uh, receptors in the brain, and it lights up. And we see the lighting up uh, in, in, in this photograph. And what a researcher would tell you in a talk like this, they say, okay, focus your attention on the, on the left. That's the brain of someone who didn't take methamphetamine. Focus your attention on the right. That's the brain of someone who has abused methamphetamine for many years. You, the audience, you're smart you can clearly see the difference. Yes? Okay, these are not data. These are pictures that are reproduced with fancy statistical techniques. And the lab under which the, the studies are done selects the color scheme and the intensity. That's why you can't really replicate these sorts of things. So this is not data. You will ask people to show you data. This tells you nothing. It tells you absolutely nothing. But it's a pretty picture. And this is how we fool people. Now, I can image this side of the room versus that side of the room. And we can find some differences that we can highlight. But what we would not do is to say that one side is cognitively impaired or brain damaged compared to the other sides based on those differences. But in the scientific literature, that's essentially what has been done. And so this concerned me so much, I published a paper, a critical review of that literature in 2012. All of the literature that had did brain imaging with methamphetamine users and cognitive testing with methamphetamine users. And what I found was this. I found that the cognitive functioning of methamphetamine users were average in the normal range 
when you included the appropriate controls. The appropriate controls are simple. You compare the cognitive performance of the methamphetamine users with that of people of the same age, people of the same educational background. When you do that, you find that these people perform in the average or the normal range. What happens in the literature is that sometimes they compared high school graduates who were methamphetamine users with college graduates who were not methamphetamine users. And they found the high school methamphetamine users performed more poorly on some tasks than the college graduates. No shit. <laughs> That's what you would expect. But when you have the proper controls, overwhelmingly they perform in the normal range. And then when you look at, when you look at the brain imaging in this literature, look at the brain imaging, any difference between those groups were interpreted as clinically significant pathology, which is inappropriate because there is a wide range of human variability in brain measures, in the size of people's uh, brain structures. Everybody with me? Right on. Yeah, um, that's a great question. Uh, the question is that these papers are supposed to be peer-reviewed. They all are peer-reviewed. Now, you have to understand, so the people who will be, be reviewing these papers are also in that area. And they also have skin in the game in, in making sure that these kind of findings are uh, reported. Because the journals also don't necessarily want to publish a paper with no findings. I mean, I have built a career on negative findings, but that's a difficult thing to do. Um, but I, I, will get, I, will, I will get to the motivation in a second, but thank you. That was a great question. So let's go to, now, that was methamphetamine. Let's think about marijuana, something that many people in the room have some experience with. The same thing happens with marijuana. This was a paper published in the journal Neuroscience, one of our better journals. And um, the, the authors concluded that the results from this study indicate that young recreational marijuana users, there are structural abnormalities in the nucleus accumbens and the amygdala. This is what they reported. There were structural abnormalities in these young people who smoked marijuana. Now... Now, now I want to. Uh, now, when you when you think about that conclusion, one of the things that you want to make sure people have whenever they do brain imaging is that they have corresponding behavioral outputs. That is cognitive testing or something else, not just the brain imaging, because brains can look different for a variety of reasons, but they perform they perform similarly. Let's think about basketball players. There are basketball players who are six feet tall, and they can out-jump other basketball players who are seven feet tall. That's just how it is. Now, one of the things with the brain, this, a similar sort of thing can happen. Because your sort of structure is not as big as an other person's structure doesn't mean that it's not functioning as, as well or even better. It just means that that's within the normal range of human variability. But in the literature, it's been interpreted as bigger is better than smaller. 
And that's inappropriate. So these folks, for this particular study, did not have any cognitive functioning or any other behavioral output, none of that. And they just interpreted any difference as clinical impairments. Now, when you think about the, the participants in this study, the participants in this study were college students who smoked maybe three times a week, once, three times a week. That's relatively low amounts of, of smoking. And they attributed these horrible abnormalities to this light, relatively light using group. And they published it in one of our top journals. This is the state of drug abuse research because we want to make sure we find something negative. Now, this also sets us up to this issue of reefer madness. We have today, we have a more sophisticated way of thinking about reefer madness. Some of you all, you all remember reefer madness. I know some of you all look like you were there. Some of you all remember <laughs> reefer madness, right? I, I just want to remind you all of a, just a clip. I have a short clip of Reefer Madness, and I want to, uh, just to remind us of what happened during that era. Um, here's a short clip. So we, we laugh. We laugh now at this sort of thing. But it's back. It's with us. It's with us today when we think about the notion that cannabis causes people to be psychotic or schizophrenic. This has come back in a strong way, particularly in Europe, the UK. In fact, the, the journal The Lancet, which is one of the world's best medical journals, they have essentially become the marijuana causes psychosis journal. Um, now, this disturbed us. My, my co-author, uh, Charlie Kassir, and I, we did, we did a, a literature review this past year we published on this, this, this situation. We wanted to see how strong the relationships were in terms of cannabis role in psychosis. And what we concluded was this. We concluded that the correlation between cannabis and psychosis 
is not specific to a chemical, a chemical like THC. That is, when you look at things like tobacco use, nicotine, or amphetamine use, other drugs, other chemicals, those relationships oftentimes are stronger than the cannabis relationship. That's one. Another thing is that the cannabis psychosis relationship is not specific to that disorder. When you look at something like anxiety, depression, and other disorders, you see that there are also relationships. And so you can't talk about cannabis psychosis linked without talking about these other factors. If someone is simply talking about the link between cannabis and psychosis without talking about nicotine, without talking about amphetamine, without talking about other psychiatric illnesses, that's a license for you to stop listening because they think you are an idiot or they are an idiot. And also, you, you, can't, you can't, can't forget this point. In our study, what we found too was that the link between cannabis and cat ownership, I mean, the link between psychosis and cat ownership as a child is equally strong. There have been papers to replicate this. Not to say that cat ownership causes psychosis, but it just gives you an idea of correlation is not causation. And it helps people to think through these things more carefully, I hope. Now, as we think about, as we think about this exaggeration that we have participated in science and our society, one has to ask, well, why would people exaggerate? You know, like what, what would motivate people to exaggerate? Well, well, you exaggerate in, in part because it helps to increase your budget. Oftentimes we have heard people say, particularly in the past five, ten years or so, that the war on drugs has been a huge failure. That is the biggest bullshit. The war on drugs has been a tremendous success. It's been a failure for most of the American people, but the people who are waging the war, it has been hugely successful. It has increased the budgets of law enforcement personnel, people who provide treatment. It has increased their budgets. Obama recently announced that he would uh, release a billion dollars to help with the, the so-called heroin epidemic. I'll talk about that in a second. Treatment providers will be, they will get a large portion of that money. Politicians, they benefit so much so because they pretend to deal with real problems simply by saying we're going to rid the community of drugs or we're going to be tougher on drugs. And you, the public, say, yeah, they're doing their job. They're not. That's a distraction. The media, of course, they benefit because they have stories, salacious stories that sell. Documentary filmmakers benefit. Filmmakers benefit. Most of the films and documentaries on drugs are so wrong. They are so infuriating. And we watch them. I've been in a couple, and I've been infuriated by the ones I have been in. Scientists benefit. We get... I have built a career. I'm a full professor now as a result of studying drugs in large part under the same sort of misguided way that I am lamenting here today. Another reason, 
It allows us as a society not to deal with the real problems that people on the margins face. Unemployment, substandard education, poor nutrition, ignorance. It allows us not to deal with those issues because we can say we're going to rid that community of drugs. Never mind that unemployment in that community is 50%. But we're going after drugs. It also allows us to target people that we don't like without explicitly saying so. Until Donald Trump came along, of course. Uh, but, but it allows us to go after these folks without saying so. And that takes me to my next point. Racial discrimination has been rampant in the enforcement of drugs. Now, as I give this talk, I give this talk to you all because I want you all to make the connection between what we have been saying about cannabis, and you know that's largely rubbish. You know it. If you know what we've been saying about cannabis, the exaggeration is rubbish, why don't you think what we've been saying about heroin is rubbish? Why don't you think what we've been saying about methamphetamine or crack cocaine is rubbish? The same thing. So I'm asking you all to use your critical thinking and apply it more broadly. Now, when I talk about racial discrimination, I am not talking about what's in your head. I don't care what's in your head. I'm talking about actions that result in disproportionately unjust or unfair treatment of persons of specific racial groups. This, these are actions, not prejudice. I'm not talking about racial disparities. Disparities are simply differences. And when we think about disparity, for example, this is a generalization, of course, but white people smoke Marlboro cigarettes. Black people like to smoke Newport. That's a racial disparity. That's not discrimination. What I'm talking about is action, racial discrimination. And as I pointed out, Intent here is not necessary. Whether you meant to do it or not doesn't even matter. It's, it's the action. It's the result. Now, that doesn't mean that you are a bad person. This has nothing to do about whether people are bad or good people because we all make mistakes, and that's okay. It's, all, it's part of being an American. We make our mistakes, and we own it, and we get better. So I'm not talking about intent. Now... Now that we understand what I mean when I talk about racial discrimination, by the way, I'm using racial discrimination interchangeably with racism. Now, when I think about drugs in our country and the enforcement of drugs, the, one of the more egregious sort of examples of this has to do with the 1986-1988 laws that punished crack cocaine a hundred times more harshly than powder cocaine. In effect, what it meant was that people caught with small amounts of crack cocaine were required to go to jail for a mandatory minimum sentence of five years, whereas to trigger the same sentence for powder cocaine, you had to have a 100 times more uh, powder cocaine. Now, what happened with, with this case was that uh, we found that more than 80% 80 of the people prosecuted at the federal law, federal level under this law were black. More than 80% of the people prosecuted and convicted. Now, black people didn't make up the majority of the crack users, although if you watch your evening news, you will get a different impression. Now, this concerned the U.S. public. It concerned Congress. It concerned the president. So they directed 
the U.S. Sentencing Commission to do a study. And the Sentencing Commission did a study, and they found these horrible numbers. In fact, they found in, in one year, I think 1992, L.A. County, the entire L.A. County, they had arrested over and prosecuted over a 1,000 people for crack cocaine offenses. Not one was white. This is L.A. County. This is not Detroit. This is L.A. County. So the sentences the commission said, something's wrong. We got it wrong. They submitted to Congress in 94 their report saying that we should equate the two and we should really uh, check out how we're enforcing this law. Congress, for the first time in the U.S. Sentencing Commission's history, rejected their recommendation. And Bill Clinton agreed with Congress, and he too rejected that recommendation. Bill Clinton said that he had to send a constant message to our children that drugs are illegal, drugs are dangerous, and drugs may cost you your life. And the penalty for dealing drugs are severe. So Bill Clinton said no. He said no. Fast forward 12 years later. Along comes presidential candidate Barack Obama speaking before Howard University, a black audience. He said that about this law, judges think that's wrong, Republicans think that's wrong, Democrats think that's wrong, and yet it's been approved by Republican and Democratic presidents because no one has been willing to brave the politics and make it right. That will change when I'm president. Did that change? Well, in the Obama way, kind of, right? <laughs> kind of. In 2010... Uh, he signed legislation that decreased the disparity from 100 to 1 to 18 to 1. Now recall, please, when I pointed out and I showed you that crack and powder are essentially the same drug, it would be like punishing people who smoked cannabis 18 times more harshly than those who chewed it in their brownies. So recall that. Now, I think Brother Malcolm X spoke to this issue best posthumously when he said, if you stick a knife in my back nine inches and pull it out six inches, there is no progress. That's essentially what we did. I got, do I have 10 minutes? Do we? Right on. I'll be, I'll be done in 10 minutes. Right on. So Malcolm X, I agree with Malcolm X's comments, particularly when we think about these are data from 2015 from the federal government. Even today, 80% of the people who are prosecuted under these laws are black. Today. All right. So now let's go, let's, let's talk about heroin just briefly because the country is in the midst of losing its mind about this so-called epidemic. But before talking about heroin, I think that I'd like to have the mayor of Maine, LePage, i like to have him kind of tell us how the American people see this. The governor of Maine was talking about out-of-state drug dealers coming to Maine in response to a question. It's a topic he discusses at a lot of town hall forums. Here's what he said last night. The traffickers, these are the traffickers. These are guys that the name D-Money, Smoothie, Shifty, uh, <laughs> these type of guys in Connecticut, New York. They come up here, they sell their heroin. 
in a young white girl. Which is real sad. But now you have another issue. And you've got to deal with that world. Well, that was uh, that that was two months ago, about two months ago. So I mean, I think I think this he encapsulate what and how we've been dealing with drugs in the country. Most of us are not stupid enough to say it, but thank God for stupid politicians. Um, it encapsulates how we in the country have been behaving, whether we want to deny it or not, the evidence is clear. These are the people, by the way, who we are arresting for heroin, even though the face of the user has is white. But these are the people, Google it. You check out heroin arrests throughout the country every day. These are the folks who are being arrested. Now, we think about marijuana. Uh, we can just, I'm, I'm going to just kind of wrap it up. I just want to just say marijuana, similar sort of uh, racial discrimination is going on at the state level. Black people are four times more likely to be arrested at the federal level. Hispanics represent two-thirds of all of those arrested for marijuana, uh, even though all groups use it at similar rates. This, of course, is a clear example of racism, racial discrimination. Not racial disparity. Don't soften it. it call it what it is. And this is happening with marijuana. So you can imagine how it's happening with everything else. Now, I want to, before closing up, I want to ask you all, do you all know what these three people have in common? Ramarley Graham, Trayvon Martin, Sandra Bland. They all, marijuana played a death, a role in all of their death. Ramarley Graham was a young kid, 18-year-old. Um, a kid on the corner suspected of selling marijuana, uh, chased into his grandmother's bathroom and shot to death because the officer said that he was flushing the marijuana down the toilet. The officer was not prosecuted. Trayvon Martin, George Zimmerman said that Trayvon Martin attacked him because Trayvon Martin was high on marijuana. Now, um, I wrote a New York Times piece showing that the levels that Trayvon Martin had in his system were placebo-like. That didn't matter. George Zimmerman's defense was at least partially persuasive because he got off. Sandra Bland was a young woman who was pulled over for a traffic violation, got into uh, a tussle with the police officer uh, and, and sent to jail, um, and then found hanging in her jail two days later. They said that she was either intoxicated during the interaction with the police or she had snuck some marijuana in her cell and took such large doses that it made her commit suicide. All of this, of course, is incredible, incredible being unbelievable. But these are the kinds of things that are said about drugs in our society, which is, which is just simply inconsistent with logic. And I didn't tell you that what I do as a, for a job is that I give people drugs and I test their effects. And I have given thousands of doses of drugs like crack cocaine, marijuana, methamphetamine. Never have I seen these incredible effects that people describe, that law enforcement officials describe when things go wrong. Never. 
So <clears throat> I was going to show you a clip of Sandra Bland, but that okay. would that would take too long. I want to just make sure we wrap up. Uh, now these are the horrifying statistics that keep me up at night. Blacks represent a third of all the people who are arrested for drugs, even though they use drugs at similar rates as their counterparts. One in three black boys can expect to spend some time in prison if we don't change the way we're doing things. Black males represent 6% of the general population, but more than four, or nearly 40% of the prison population. This is fucking incredible. Now, the writer Jerry, the, the writer Gary Young for The Guardian, he was, he was their reporter here in the U.S. for many years. He said that knowing and understanding something simply does not provide the same intensity as having it in your life. Now, I have three boys. One has spent time behind bars for a drug-related violation. So I have it in my life, and it's intense. It's so intense that I am oftentimes reminded of the words of my favorite writer, James Baldwin, when he said, to be a Negro scientist, he didn't say scientist, that's me, to be Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is is to be enraged almost all the time. That's my life. That's my life. Now, When you have rage, you have to understand that you have to interact with people who are not responsible for your rage. That's you. And so that helps me to try to do something about the rage with your help. So I'm here asking for your help. Your help and maybe coming up with some solutions about what's going on in our country. It is our country. It's all of our country. And how we want history to judge us. But I have some solutions or I have some ideas and I'd like to know what you think about them and we can have a discussion. One is make sure you call out racial discrimination. Don't let people get away with saying shit like racial disparities. Call it what it is. Call it out and call out the people who support it. Even if that means you have to check yourself. Work to change the legal status of all drugs. Whether it's decriminalizing drugs or legalization. In my book, High Price, I argue that we should decriminalize all drugs like they did in the Czech Republic in the late 1990s. Like they did in Portugal in 2001. I no longer believe in that. As a public health professional. I'm more concerned about the adulterants that people get on the street in drugs. Decriminalization does not do anything to ensure quality control of drugs. So the only way I see it now is that we have to regulate drugs so we can control the quality. And we know how to educate about drugs. We know how to keep people safe. This technology is available. As I pointed out, we give these drugs to people every day with your tax dollars. We we have that technology is here. And but whenever you make a change, a law change or any change in your society, you have to constantly evaluate the risk benefit ratio of that change. Is the change having more negative consequences than positive? 
or vice versa. You have to constantly evaluate it and make adjustments accordingly. We have failed to do that in the past 30 or 40 years. And we have to change the narrative about drug users. That's what part of this talk was about, changing the narrative. In changing the narratives, we have to rethink what we think of as a drug user. That's why I made it clear to you that I'm a drug user. I'm a typical drug user. Well, typical drug user is white. But other than that, I am a typical drug user. I'm responsible, take care of my family. I take care of my bills or what have you. That's the typical drug users. Too often, we see people talking about their drug use who are pathological. That is, they have drug addiction. And when they have drug addictions, they also have other psychiatric or comorbidities. That's not the typical drug user. That's an aberration. So we have to change the narrative. And one way to change the narrative it's for people to get out of the closet. It's for responsible people to get out of the closet. And we change the narrative. And finally, you must put the work in. There are no shortcuts. You have to know the science. Otherwise, you get bamboozled. And the society has been getting bamboozled for centuries about drugs. Every week, it seems like there's some new paper out showing some negative or horrible effect. But then when you read the details, even the authors in the papers say that is not as bad as, as it seems. But nobody reads the papers. All you have to do, all you have to do is read the results. That's all you have to do. And look at some of the methods and look at the limitations. There's always a limitation section. And the authors tell you that this really doesn't mean what the title says. They tell you this if you read. Now, I should tell you, what I have laid out here today is not a formula for popularity. This is a formula to be lonely, but you will be right and history will judge you well. And for me, that's far more important than being popular. Because when I have my psychoactive drugs, I don't need you. <laughs> Thank you. So would you question or Thank you so much for that question. So as we think about heroin, there, there are two issues that concern me about heroin. I, I worry about, first, overdose deaths and uh, addiction rates. So when we think about overdose deaths, the vast majority of the people who die from heroin or an opiate have another sedative on board or some other drug on board. And that, dr that other drug on board plays a role in causing the respiratory depression. So the major thing that we should be talking about in public in terms of the opioids is we should be telling people, if you're going to use an opiate, do not combine it with another sedative. Do not combine it with an antihistamine. We should be telling people this. And we should also be telling people, if you're using things like Percocet, 
or Aka or um, Vicodin to get high. Please be aware that those drugs contain large amounts of acetaminophen, 325 milligrams to 650. Acetaminophen is the number one reason for liver toxicity. So if you need to use an opioid, try to use one without the acetaminophen if you're going to be using large doses. That's one. Now, as we think about addiction rates, uh, about a quarter of the people who use heroin will become addicted. So 75% or so won't become addicted. The people who are most likely to become addicted to heroin are unemployed white males in rural areas. How about we find something for them to do? Work, purpose, meaning in life. Grow marijuana. And so those are the major issues. And, and, and so when people start talking about heroin and the overdoses and those sorts of things, ask those questions. Were there any other drugs involved? Was the acetaminophen taken? All of those kinds of things helps us to help our public. Thank you. This is a part of our garden that doesn't get pollinated very often. That was delightful. Thank you so much. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it.